You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop, the podcast helping water leaders to discover solutions and drive change. I'm the host, Travis Loop. How can the affordability of water bills be properly addressed without consistent and comprehensive data? New Jersey decided to get a clearer look at the situation. A state law now requires all water utilities to report on a monthly and zip code basis our affordability metrics, including rates, customer bills, water usage, arrears, shutoffs, and tax liens sold on homes for non-payment. The law is discussed in this episode with Larry Levine, Director of Urban Water Infrastructure and a Senior Attorney at the Natural Resources Defense Council. Larry also talks about the coalition that developed and lobbied for the legislation in New Jersey, how the law will be implemented, and NRDC's Affordability Toolkit. Now to the conversation. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. Larry, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, really excited to talk to you today. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so this is a, a critical conversation right now about affordability in the water space. Uh, before we dive into it, could you kind of uh, you know, give your explanation of what this term affordability means? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think at this point, most people in the water sector are pretty familiar with it, but it's really important to just to get a good grasp on what it is we're talking about. So, you know, affordability at the most basic level is just the ability of people, of households, of customers to pay the bill that they get, mm. right, for water and sewer service, but to do so without coming at the expense of meeting other essential needs, right? Um, we don't want people trying to choose between paying their, for their groceries or their medication or their electric bill or their water bill, right? Um, and ultimately, we can't achieve really the, the purposes, the public health and environmental purposes of, of water systems and wastewater systems if bills aren't affordable for people, right? If we manage to, to provide safe water, but it's not coming out of people's taps because they're disconnected because they can't hit, pay the bill, we're not achieving the purpose. Hmm. Right? And at the same time, if people can't afford the bills and systems aren't able to collect revenue that they need to improve and operate and maintain those systems, they're not going to be able to deliver clean water. Hmm. So we really need this to, to work for people and to work for the financial stability of utilities as well. Sure. All right. The reason we're talking for this episode is because uh, there's kind of been a landmark law that was passed in New Jersey around uh, transparency, around affordability issues. And we're going to dig into what that all means. But let's start um, with you talking about what the challenges are uh, when it comes to information involving affordability. You know, why, why is it necessary to address this through legislation or policy or practice? not just in New Jersey, but around the country. What are, what are the issues there? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there really is a real transparency issue uh, in, in the water sector, or frankly, around a lot of things, but especially around affordability. Um, you know, we, we know enough to understand that there is a real problem here, right? That water rates have been rising uh, rapidly for decades, that there's continued upward pressure on rates, especially because of the need for infrastructure investment in both the water sector and the wastewater sector. 
right? And, and we know at the same time that, um, that, that there's growing income inequality, right? And that people are uh, increasingly unable to afford those bills. What we don't know uh, is exactly to what extent um, and where the greatest problems are. Um, and that poses a challenge. Uh, it poses a challenge in terms of uh, educating policymakers about the need for solutions. Uh, and it poses a challenge uh, in terms of designing the most effective solutions. Right? So the limited availability of data is really a, a critical missing link. Mm. Right? Where, where there are data, though, and this is important, where there are data, they show there's a problem. Right, um, so macro level analyses of, of looking at rate trends and comparing that to income, that shows that we know we've got a problem. City specific data where that's become available, it shows we know we've got a problem around water shutoffs, around liens hmm. on property, uh, when people have water debt uh, that can lead to loss of homes, can lead to foreclosure. Right? We see those kinds of data points emerging from different cities uh, where data has become available, often with great effort of advocates to try to secure and, uh, and extract that data, right? But what we don't have is we don't have it systematically around the country to really paint the full picture. Mm. Could you talk, I, I want to dive into that a little bit further, the data that's that's missing. You, you know, you mentioned liens and foreclosures and stuff like that. So what what are kind of the 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 missing data when it comes to affordability that doesn't uh, let the water space and others understand the issue and act on it. Right. I mean, it starts at the most basic level, uh, really even understanding comparatively what water rates are across the 50,000 water systems in the U S and the 10 or 20,000 wastewater systems. Right. Uh, even just understanding the basics of rates, there's not good information. It can be even hard to find for many water systems what their rates are. Um, and you've got variation in the kinds of rate design that's used, whether it's a flat rate, whether it's a uh, rate per gallon, whether it's an increasing inclining block rate of uh, lower per gallon price for use less, higher per gallon price for use more. Sometimes that's flipped on its head. You pay more for lower use. Right? But even just understanding the basics of how water is priced, um, there's not good data. Not even that. Uh, and so to really understand what the, what the costs are, how the costs vary, how the costs impact people, you've got to have that basic level of information, right? Then there's a, a need for understanding of the ability of people to pay their bills, right? And that includes not just uh, what the rates are, but what the usage is um, and how that translates into the bill. And that also varies from place to place. And within a place, it varies um, in large part because... Uh, low-income households are often in uh, older housing that has more uh, inefficient or less efficient and older plumbing, uh, leaky plumbing, uh, older fixtures, things that use a lot more water than than, uh, than than newer housing does, right? And that can also lead to in increased inflated water costs relative to what really could be if, if we were doing things better, right? So just the usage and actual bills, there's even less information on that than there is on what the water rates are, right? And then you get to the consequences of unaffordable bills where there's a real paucity of data. And that's things, like I mentioned, like shutoffs. How many people are being disconnected? Where? Where are the pockets where that's happening the most? Um, identifying disparate impacts by geography, by income, by race, 
Those are kinds of things that have popped up where the data are available, but we don't have a, a good picture of that. The same goes for liens on property. Right? The same goes for um, the availability uh, and sufficiency of different kinds of assistance programs that exist. Right? We don't have a good data set to really analyze uh, where, uh, where the biggest gaps are in existing programs. We know there's a lot of gaps. That actually is very clear because we know there are not a lot of programs. Hmm. Right? Um, there are not a lot of water affordability or assistance programs. There's not a lot of good data even on the ones that do exist. I mean, that's a lot of information that's missing. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, I, mean, I, can, I could go on. We've only got 20 minutes. Okay, but it's really from soup really to nuts. You just, you just don't have that data there that we need to make decisions to understand the problem and ultimately to, to, to help people and, and secure access to water. So in New Jersey, what drove the development of this law? What spurred this to happen? Uh, obviously, it's been a crazy couple of years with COVID, uh, with the economy, and all these other factors. I imagine that's part of the story here. Yeah, what what spurred all of this in New Jersey? Yeah, you know, and COVID really was a, a big part of it, right? So, like everywhere else, water affordability is challenges predated COVID. They were exacerbated by COVID. They're going to outlive COVID, right? But COVID really brought uh, you know, heightened attention to the issue, especially around shutoffs, right? Everybody sort of suddenly came to this realization, if you don't have water, how are you going to stem the tide of a pandemic when people can't wash their hands, hmm. right? And so you had uh, moratoria against shutoffs popping up around the country. Uh, many individual cities and their water systems adopted it. Some states at a statewide level did as well, although not nearly enough, actually. Um, only you know, a, a minority of, of all states did that statewide. Right? It, was um, more, it was more a system-by-system system, uh, policy was, that was adopted? It was system, um, you know, in um, 17 or so, I forget the exact number we were tracking at one point. It's, give or take 17 states, there was a statewide blanket moratorium on water okay. shutoffs. Um, which interestingly, there were more states that did that for energy than for water. Um, and, and the reason there is not because energy is more important than water. It's, it's because for the water sector, it's so much uh, more disaggregated and it's not subject to uh, oversight in the same ways that the energy sector is. Right? And what that means is, is in relation to state utility commissions, mm. right, which oversee gas and electric utilities, they were able by regulation to enact by emergency orders, right? To to enact uh, these moratoria, right? And that leaves out most water systems uh, that are publicly owned that are generally not regulated by those utility commissions. So to get these kinds of protections in place during the pandemic, executive orders were needed, um, or legislation was needed, um, and that happened in some places. In a lot of places, it it didn't happen. Uh, I think there was even a lack of understanding by policymakers that the way to cover the whole water sector was to do that. Yeah. And another reason that, that these shutoffs were prevented is uh, obviously there was a big economic impact from COVID and people not being able to work. And so it just crunched a lot of these households even so much further, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. And that, okay. that was, that was the, the combination of the need for water to, uh, to, to, to protect people's health and the heightened risk of shutoff uh, because of the economic crimes. That's exactly why hmm. uh, why these protections were put in place. Um, and then it, it really called attention to the problem. Uh, and as those moratoria were in place, uh, people were accumulating debt on their water bills. 
Um, so they, they couldn't afford to pay. Yeah. Right. And and so at some point those moratoria were going to lift. And then what do you do? Mm-hmm. Right. Then then you've got all these people with accumulated water debt don't have a way to just suddenly pay that off. Um, and so there's got to be some sort of uh, financial support, some sort of assistance for that. Yeah. And then I and then I derailed you from the. I derailed you from the New Jersey story here. I, I, I took us off on a little tangent. So back to the drivers in Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and, and Jersey is a microcosm of the country on this. So it's, hmm. it's, a, it's, a, great, it's a great example, right? So, um, you know, in New Jersey, even before the pandemic, uh, you know, studies suggested that uh, about a fifth of all New Jersey households face challenges paying their water bills, right? And then during the pandemic, uh, you had this spike in arrears with people behind on their bills. Right. Um, and uh, there were data starting to come in on a limited basis, um, mainly from the regulated utilities, the investor owned utilities that in New Jersey happened to serve about 40 percent of the state. That's unusually high. Um, but because those those utilities are, uh, are regulated by the state utility commission, that commission was requiring some data to come in. Uh, and to, for example, the most recent data, which is now a few months old from July, shows about $40 million of residential arrears with about 150,000 households um, behind on their bills just for those investor-owned water utilities. If you extrapolated that to uh, to wastewater and extrapolated that to the publicly-owned sector where we don't have the data, right? But if, if, you, if you made a, you know, a simplifying assumption that it was basically on par, you'd be at around, uh, at around $200 million of debt. Mm. Right, um, and to, to to contrast that with what's the available assistance, um, for the first time ever, the federal government has provided um, funding for low-income water assistance as part of COVID relief packages from from last year. New Jersey's share of that uh, is about twenty million dollars to provide assistance to households, and there's probably about ten times that amount of need. Right, so understanding what is the true level of need. Where is that need? And being able to monitor, are we successfully reducing those arrears over time? You need data. Yeah. Right. Sure, sure. All right, so let's pivot to the solution here, uh, or at least the great progress that's been made. Um, before we dive into exactly what's required by New Jersey's uh, affordability transparency law, could you talk a little bit about this kind of coalition that came together to develop the law? I think that's a key part of why this progress happened. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it really it really was driven by advocacy. Um, and, and what's a couple things that are interesting about it you had um, yeah, NRDC, my organization, was, was very involved in this. Um, but we and the groups we worked with were coming at this simultaneously from the water perspective and the energy perspective. Hmm. And so this, this law actually is about transparency around data for electric and gas and water and wastewater. Right? Um, and that, that ended up being a, a powerful coalition and a powerful political message uh, to be able to move this bill forward Right, is is addressing all of those addressing the utility sector, utility costs, and utility affordability as a whole. It's not the only way it can be done, um, but that that was a big part of the story in New Jersey. And the groups that came together included not just uh, environmental groups and not just water groups. Right, as a result of that, right, it was NRDC working with the state chapter of AARP, uh, working with uh, Legal Services of New Jersey, right, which is the the state office 
that uh, the state entity that sort of oversees uh, legal aid offices around the country and coordinates uh, around the state, excuse me, and coordinates them. Uh, it was working with a, an advocacy group called Citizen Action, um, working uh, some with Food and Water Watch. It was it was a, a, a range of groups that, that came together around this, around the shutoff moratoria initially, um, and progressing from there to uh, working on substantive protections from shutoffs beyond the moratoria, things like shutoff protections in the winter from from water shutoffs. Um, things like, uh, uh, you know, what the rules are on notice of shutoff and how far behind you've got to be on a bill before you can get penalized with a shutoff, working on things like that. And then working as well on the data gap and working on this legislation to get more data. Hmm. All right. So let's dive into the real guts here of this New Jersey affordability transparency law. Uh, what, what does it require? What's, what are the details here? Yeah, so so it, we, it, we really believe it's the strongest in the nation right now, and we hope it's going to be replicated. Uh, like significantly the strongest, like kind of head and shoulders above the rest. Okay. Yeah, I would say so, and I mean the 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 reason in part is because it covers all water and sewer systems, not just the ones that are regulated by a state utility commission, mm-hmm. right? In other states where there are some uh, similar data reporting requirements, and Illinois is the best example of that actually, which has a pretty similar list of data to report. That's only for the regulated utilities, the commission-regulated utilities, mm. privately owned. Right? Um, in New Jersey, we've got a, a now a very similar list of data, um, but it applies across the board. Uh, and that's that's one thing that's that's really uh, really critical and, and, and distinguishes this law. Um, and on, in the water space, even for investor-owned systems, the kind of data being reported here is pretty rare. Mm. Right? It, it it really goes beyond other places. Um, with the possible exception of Illinois, even in the investor-owned space. Hmm. Um, so, so some some important features of this. So, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the same the same rules apply for energy and for water utilities. Uh, it applies to all systems, publicly or privately owned. But it also requires data, and I'll get into what the data points are. It requires it to be broken down at the zip code level, um, and that's that's really important, right, to understand um, where the the hot spots are. Um, to understand uh, what the disparities are, um, right? You can you can map uh, zip code roughly onto uh, onto income levels, uh, onto uh, onto race and ethnicity, right? And really understand what the impacts systemically of how uh, how we uh, fund and finance um, water systems, what those impacts really look like to people, right? So. At that zip code level, monthly data for everyone, for all the systems, and what the data are coming in on, they're going to come in on, on several points. Right? All the things I mentioned before, really, all those data gaps, um, rates, usage, bills, uh, shutoffs, right? how many shutoff notices are going out, how many of those people actually get shut off, how many are reconnected, uh, how long uh, between shutoff and reconnection? What are the fees and penalties that are associated with late bills? And how much is being, how many people are paying those and how much money is being paid for that, right? Those are basically punitive. People already can't afford their bill. And on top of that, you're going to pile your fees and penalties, right? Um, then there's the liens issue, which is different in the water context, water and sewer, than it is in the energy context, um, because most of the systems are publicly owned. And 
in the same way that a city or a town can impose a tax lien if you don't pay your property taxes, they can do the same if you don't pay your water or sewer bill. Uh, and that's, that's another means of basically debt collection in addition to shutoff that exists in the water space. And there's hardly any data available on that. So it's going to require data um, on, on liens as well. Uh, and then there's data on arrears. As we mentioned before, you've got to know that to be able to identify the, you know, the magnitude of, of, of the problem that people need immediate help for. Right? Um, and also breaking down those arrears in terms of how far overdue it is. Right? If you've got a lot of people that are falling behind for months at a time, as opposed to somebody who maybe is just a little bit late on their bill, that's important to know. Right? Um, and when I mentioned the, the dollar figures um, in New Jersey around the, the 40 million in arrears that have been identified from the privately owned water systems, about 25 million of that 45 million is overdue by more than four months. Right? So we, we know that those are people who are not going to be able to dig out of the hole by themselves. And having that kind of data on an ongoing basis um, is, is really important too. Right? Um, and then the, the last sorts of things that, that come in are, are data on, uh, on existing affordability and assistance programs. And in the water space, those programs uh, exist basically only at the local level. Uh, and most, I mean, in most places, they don't exist at all. Right? Unlike uh, the energy sector, where there are federal and state programs uh, to assist people with paying bills, or in some cases to uh, just to basically set a, a cap on costs based on a share or percentage of income. Right? Um, in the water sector, there's nothing at the state or federal level, um, and most water and sewer systems don't have anything. Um, so it's important to know where those programs exist and where they don't precisely, uh, and where they do exist to understand um, how many people are assisted, how many dollars are going into those programs. That also is, is uh, part of the data. That's going well, I mean, that's a lot of information that's going to be gathered through this law for sure. Um, so I guess I, I kind of have a two-part question here. Uh, how, how then is the law implemented? It was, it was passed, it's law. Uh, how does it really get put into practice? And then uh, what, what's the idea that you get all this data What's the, what's the, I guess, output of that? Or yeah. what, what, what action is going to come from getting all that information? Yeah, no, those are great questions. Um, and, you know, and as with so many things uh, <laughs> with, like, in the advocacy world and in, in the world of, of uh, legislation and regulation, it all comes down to the implementation, right? And that may be even harder than, than getting a bill passed, right? Um, and especially in the water sector because there are so many individual utilities um, and because most of them are not subject to utility commission oversight, right? They're subject to oversight by, um, by environmental agencies for safe drinking water act compliance, for clean water act compliance. To a limited extent, they're subject to sort of you know, financial audits uh, where you know, state, you know, state oversight of local government finance, right? But as utilities, they're not subject to oversight in that same way that investors are. Right, so this is gonna be a big challenge um, and how is it going to be implemented in New Jersey? So the law assigns responsibility entirely to the state utility commission and in consultation with the state agency that oversees municipal finance, but responsibility ultimately lies with the state utility commission to gather this data, to make it public. And that's another important piece of the law, right? Is that all of this data needs to be made public, posted on the state website, including the raw data so that it can be downloaded and analyzed 
um, by researchers, by advocates, right? Um, the fact that the utility commission is responsible is one, you know, it, put, you know, provides a challenge, uh, presents a challenge because they previously have not had oversight responsibility for the majority of water systems. And the water systems previously haven't had a relationship uh, with that state agency, right? Um, and so there's going to have to be a structure created uh, to create that relationship in, in regard to data reporting, to educate those publicly owned systems about what their responsibilities are, um, and to help facilitate uh, their, their compliance. In some cases, frankly, it's going to be a challenge for them because many of those water systems are small uh, and they don't necessarily have the data management systems that a, a larger utility does. Right. Um, and so I think ultimately what may be needed is uh, is not only some technical assistance, but probably some financial assistance to help some of the smaller utilities uh, be able to uh, to upgrade their data management systems to be able to provide this kind of data. Right. Um, another important thing about implementation, and this is a lesson from Illinois, right? I mentioned that you know Illinois has the strongest law out there in terms of the data points to be reported. Um, and it, and it covers the, the, the commission-regulated utilities. Right? But there, with implementation, and that law was just adopted last year, um, they seem to have it running pretty smoothly. The way they got there is by having really an inclusive process involving the utilities, involving uh, advocates, and involving, of course, staff of the state agency, uh, but to do some, uh, some collaborative problem solving. Right, uh, there, there are going to be challenges in implementing something like this, uh, and some of the challenges are just at the basic level of uh, you know, interpreting the nuances of what data is being requested. There are different ways that you might interpret some of these different data categories of data, uh, and you want to have consistent data uh, so that it's it's meaningful and and comparable. Um, you're going to have without being proactive around that. You're very likely to have messy and inconsistent data coming in. So one thing I think that's going to be really important for New Jersey is for the state to be proactive, um, working with stakeholders and utilities uh, to identify those challenges, to solve those challenges um, in a practical way to, to get the system working. It's wonderful this law was passed. It's something to be celebrated. A lot of work lies ahead, that's that's for sure. Uh, lastly, I wanted to ask you, Larry, about uh, NRDC's affordability toolkit. I think you've got this out there and it's something that uh, can really be tapped into to help on this issue. Could you just uh, talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and thanks for asking that. So earlier this year, uh, NRDC, along with uh, National Consumer Law Center, uh, which does a lot of advocacy around utility affordability. We jointly published a water affordability advocacy toolkit. Um, and what we tried to do there um, is we engaged with advocates around the country who are working on water affordability issues to try to understand how these issues manifest in their particular parts of the country, in the cities or states where they work, um, what the lessons are that they're learning from the work that they do on the ground, what some of the solutions are that they're seeing um, and advocating for and sometimes implementing, um, right, where there's been progress. Taking that information, taking that um, you know, with the, the body of knowledge that, that, that uh, we were able to, uh, to, to draw from other research and from our own experience, 
I'm really putting that together as a tool that advocates and that policymakers uh, and, and utility managers can use as well to understand the nature of these problems, these different aspects of water affordability, to understand the nature of the problems, and importantly, to understand what the menu of solutions looks like. Uh, and to have examples to point people to of here are some of the strongest instances where uh, there are good uh, consumer protection rules, say, around shutoffs, where there are good debt relief programs, um, where there are uh, affordability programs that are based on, say, a percentage of income to make sure no one is, is, is paying um, an excessive amount for their, for their water bill, um, where, uh, where there are water efficiency programs that are specifically designed to reach low-income households because the program design is really critical right, on, on any of these, on, on any kind of a, an assistance or affordability program. And most water efficiency programs where they exist don't really reach low-income households. Um, and it talks about even rate design because right, it's one thing to, to say, okay, somebody's gotten a bill that's unaffordable, how do we help them? It's another thing to say in the first place, let's design water rates so that they're not regressive. Um, let's design them so that we're not heavily relying on fixed charges, for example. Um, and let's design them where there can be a, a lifeline rate that give, ensures a low uh, charge for a, a, a level of usage that meets essential needs. Right? Or let's design them in that income-based approach. Right? So it talks about all these different issues. It's modular. I've got about 10 different topics that are covered in different modules. Um, you know, ranging from what do you do to protect people if they can't afford the bill to how do you get the bill to be affordable in the first instance so you don't have too many people in that position. Um, we think it's a really great resource. Um, you know, we've been uh, out there trying to get it in front of as many people um, as possible. Um, you know, hopefully you can you know, provide a, a link uh, you know, somewhere along the way, you know, along with the, the video here. Um, and you know, we're eager to, to talk to, to anyone, uh, anyone who's interested in learning more. Yeah, awesome. I mean, those those types of toolkits are just so vital to help uh, address these big issues and and just point people towards solutions, proven solutions, um, yeah. and really accelerate progress on this. Well, Larry, yeah. thanks for coming Absolutely. on. Even since we published it, there's been you know we've already time to update it. It feels like right because the New Jersey law <laughs> right was enacted in uh, at the end of the summer. We published this thing in June. Right? Oh, so the New right. Jersey law was profiled in there as a bill, <laughs> and now now it's a law. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there have been positive developments in other places. We're already seeing other other places start to try to develop similar legislation, too. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's efforts happening in a lot of places around the country. So, uh, you know, maybe you'll have to kind of set a schedule for updating that that thing uh, from time to time. But Larry, I uh, appreciate you coming on and talking about this this really important issue. Thank you so much. Thank you. Waterloop. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please visit waterloop.org to find the latest episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.